Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Well, good morning, church family. Let's open in our Bibles to Luke chapter 23. We continue verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. And while you're making your way there, let me remind you where we are in the story. The religious leaders finally got what they had wished and hoped and planned to happen for a long time, that Jesus would be handed over to them so that he could be executed, so that he could be put to death. Remember last week we talked about that passage of Scripture where the the people demanded that Pilate give Jesus over to them. And at that point, Pilate delivered a guilty man, Barabbas, um, and set this guilty man free. And he gave the innocent man, Jesus, to the Roman soldiers and to the people to be executed. And that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 23, verse 26. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? The title of today's message is Take Up the Cross take up the cross. Have you ever found yourself to be in a position where you missed the point? Where you missed something important that happened? Maybe someone was telling a joke and the punchline came and it just kind of flew right over your head. Maybe you've been at some athletic event and you got up to go get a hot dog or to use the restroom and a turning point in the game happened while you were away and you missed out on the most important aspect of the the game. I think most of us can relate to having this kind of experience. Well, this is exactly what happened to, to an entire nation of people, the nation of Israel. They missed it. They failed to get it in spite of the fact that they waited literally thousands of years for this moment. When it happened, they missed it. The ones to whom the promises were made and the events were foretold did not receive the fulfillment when it was upon them. In fact, not only did they miss it, 
the scriptures teach us clearly that they rejected it. This event, of course, was the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And this passage of scripture today is meant to juxtapose the events that happened when Jesus triumphantly entered into Jerusalem. Do you remember that occasion? Thousands of people lined the streets, waving palm branches as Jesus entered the city. They cried out, Hosanna, which means they were asking Jesus, come, save us. They were calling out to Jesus to deliver them, to save them on that day. And now the hero that they were given was not the hero that they desired. And instead of screaming and proclaiming, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, now the crowd is chanting, crucify him, put him to death. The path that was once aligned with palm branches was now lined with the blood and the suffering of Jesus himself. The crowd that was once exclaiming praises is now hurling insults and defamation. This is certainly a somber scene when we see Jesus in these terms. But in the midst of this somber scene, Luke gives us incredible insight into the ultimate message of the cross. So today I'd like to point out three insights about the ultimate message of the cross. The first comes from verse 26. Take up the cross, the taking up of the cross from verse 26. Let's read it again. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. Now, there's a lot in that phrase, they led him away. Luke doesn't go into detail about this, but some of the other gospel writers do. At this point, the crown of thorns would have already been placed upon Jesus' head. At this point, they've already put the, the purple sash around Jesus as they mocked him as the coming king. At this point, Jesus has already been beaten and whipped and has already endured intense physical suffering at the hands of these Roman soldiers and to the, the um, benefit of the crowd that was following along there. So the focus and attention here is already directed toward the fact that at this point, Jesus is already paying in pain and suffering on our behalf. And then the scene shifts to this man, Simon. What seems to be this random person that's pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross of Christ? Well, here's what we know about God. There is no random, right? God always does things on purpose 
He's sovereign. And so what he's doing here in the life of Simon is far from a random event. What we see here is God's grace extended toward this man, Simon. So it says, when they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene. Now for us, when we read that, that probably means nothing. Cyrene, Simon, so what? But for the first audience of this gospel, they would have known exactly what that meant. What this means, Simon of Cyrene, is Simon is a Jewish man who remember back in the book of Jeremiah, God's people were wanting to flee the chosen land and go to Egypt. And one of the things that Jeremiah said to the people on behalf of God is, don't do that. Don't run away. Well, we know ultimately what did the people do? They did what they thought was best and they ran away. So we have this group of Jewish people who were dispersed literally to the ends of the earth at that time. Out from Jerusalem, Jewish people living as it were, in Luke's perspective, out in the country. Well, where is Cyrene out in the country? That's modern day Libya. So these Jewish people had settled in the northern part of Africa. And at this point, this man from out in the country, Simon, this Jewish man, is coming back into Jerusalem when he has this experience. And what an experience it was. As he's coming in, he's confronted with this commotion. Something is happening in the streets. And before he knows it, he goes from being a bystander to this commotion to being actively involved. As a Roman soldier pulls him into the situation and places on him the cross of Christ. Before he knew it, Simon, who was just on a little road trip, was following in the footsteps of the bloodied body of Jesus Christ. A Galilean, whom if he had not known before, he would quickly, quickly discover that this was Jesus, this was the one to whom some said was the Messiah, but that the Jewish people by and large had rejected. And here in this moment of time, Simon's life was changed as he literally walked in the footsteps of Jesus, carrying Jesus's cross. Now, we have to clearly understand what's happening here. The reason that these Roman soldiers chose this other person to carry Jesus's cross was not because they were compassionate toward Jesus. They were afraid that at this point, Jesus would die before they could get him onto the cross. He had already endured so much physical torment and these Roman soldiers knew their mission. Their mission was to put him onto the cross and to crucify him. So because of that, 
they pull in this man, Simon, to take his place. Now, some of you men here are grandfathers. And some of the fondest memories that I have spending time with my grandfathers were listening to them tell stories. Hey, let me tell you about a time when one of my grandfathers was in the Korean War and he used to tell me these stories about happenings and I can remember vividly sitting beside his chair and listening to these stories. And as I studied this passage today, I thought, can you imagine Simon as a grandfather, as a father, sitting with his kids and grandkids and saying, let me tell you about a time when I was headed into Jerusalem and I got stopped. And these are the things that happened. Evidently, this story not only changed Simon's life, but it changed the life of his whole family. You see, in Mark's account, uh, in Mark's gospel, when he lays out this account of Simon, listen to how he describes Simon. Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why would Mark tell his audience that Simon had two children named Alexander and Rufus? Well, here's why because the first audience would have known Alexander and Rufus, because they would have been part of the early church. You see what's happened here? God in his sovereign grace, even in the midst of the most intense suffering of Jesus Christ, reaches out and sovereignly calls this man Simon to faith on that day as he carried Jesus's cross. And as a result of that, saves an entire family and redeems these people unto himself so that they too are known by the early church and the testimony can be given of what God did in the life of this Jewish man. The grace of God literally reached through the Roman soldiers, and touched the life of this unbelieving Jewish man. When Jesus was at his weakest, when Satan was at his strongest, when the fury of hell was to be unleashed in its full proportion, the grace of Christ was still at work. And here's an incredible, encouraging truth for us today from this text. God has gospel purposes even in difficult providences. God is doing something even in the midst of the pain and suffering of Jesus Christ. God was still reaching out in grace to this undeserving bystander of a man and he used it to transform his entire life and the life of his entire family. What an incredible truth. Now we know that Jesus in his ministry taught a lot about discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. And one of the things he said clearly that if you want to follow me, Jesus says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now here in the life of Simon, 
We see that literally. I mean, literally, this disciple of Jesus took up the cross and followed Christ. But brothers and sisters, this is not just for Simon, right? This is the call of Christ on each of us is to take up our cross, to recognize the sacrifice, to recognize the, the humility, to lay down our personal desires and really walk in those footsteps of Jesus, understanding that what he did, he calls us to, and that's to lay down our lives for the glory of God. The disciples of Jesus were identified as being people of the cross. And brothers and sisters, that's how we should be identified. Look, you all should know, you, you all probably do know, there's a movement out there among some so-called Christians and some so-called churches to let's, let's stop talking about the cross. Let's stop talking about the blood and the cross. Let's just focus on the more positive elements of this is how God makes our life better and how if we do these things, he'll give us all of these things to live um, a good life. Here's what we should know. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. Without the cross, there is no hope. Without the cross, we have no salvation. Therefore, we must be people of the cross, not only in the message that we proclaim, not only should we talk about the cross and sing about the cross and talk about the implications of what happened at the cross, but our lives should reflect that we are people who believe that what happened at the cross is the most important moment in, his, in history. And it's made all the difference in our lives. We too are called to lay down our lives and take up the cross and follow Jesus. So we see the bearing of the cross of Christ. Number two, we see uh, Jesus preaching the message of the cross. Look in verse 27. Following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breast that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and for your children. So at this point, the chance of crucify him have ended and that process of course has started and as this crowd of people is witnessing this event where Jesus has been beaten and he's attempting to carry the cross and Simon is plucked out of the crowd to carry this cross of Christ, there is evidently among this group of people a group of women who are following Jesus and witnessing these events. And um, 
well, we don't believe that this is the group of women that typically follow Jesus. Remember, along with the disciples, there were women who ministered to Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. Instead, this is another group of women. Jesus calls them the daughters of Jerusalem. He identifies them with the Jewish people. And evidently at this time, it was fairly common for there to be these professional mourners that as these criminals were led to their execution, there was a group of women who would professionally um, go along with the crowd and they would be weeping and wailing on behalf of this um, terrible thing that was happening. And so Jesus, somewhat surprisingly, turns to these women. And instead of giving them some look of accommodation and appreciation for sympathizing with his suffering, Jesus actually calls them to stop weeping for him and instead weep for themselves. Jesus, in other words, begins preaching a gospel message to them. When Jesus says, don't weep for me, he's not saying that's wrong to cry. Of course, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And it's certainly appropriate for us to have emotional responses to things. But what Jesus wanted these ladies, and in a bigger way, the nation of Israel to understand was that he wasn't looking for their sympathy. He was calling for their repentance. And so when Jesus says, stop weeping for me, he's saying, look, an emotional response to the cross of Christ is not enough. Did you know that? An emotional response to the cross of Christ is not enough. There are plenty of people who learn about Jesus and think about Jesus' life and think and maybe watch movies or think deeply about how Jesus was treated. And that brings up some emotional response and say, what a, they say, what a tragedy. What a terrible thing that happened to Jesus. Some may even shed tears because of what happened to Jesus. They may even say, Jesus didn't deserve that kind of treatment, but it's not enough to have that. It's not enough for it to end there. What must take place at that point is repentance, is to recognize that what Jesus was enduring was the just wrath of God for our sins. And that's what the nation of Israel missed. That's the incredible point about this passage that God calls one Jewish man, takes the scales off his eyes. He's able to see who Jesus is. is. He gives his life to Jesus in faith and belief and repentance and follows Jesus. And then there's this entire crowd of people who still don't get it. And Jesus says, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. And not only that, weep for your children. 
we know that ultimately Jesus was speaking to this group of ladies about the coming judgment that God would pour out onto the Jews through the Romans when they would come in just a few decades and destroy the temple. And that would certainly happen. And so Jesus is calling them to repentance. Remember just a few months ago, we were studying through Luke chapter 19, verse 44, Jesus says this, they will dash you to the ground and the children within your walls and they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming for you. Jesus said, here's what's gonna happen. Because you're hard-hearted, because you won't turn in repentance and faith, you're going to be um, recipients of the judgment of God. And these walls, this, this religion, as you know, it will be torn down. I'm reminded even of the Old Testament prophets who came to the people with a similar message of repentance. Remember Jonah and that famous story where God calls him to go preach the gospel in Nineveh. And Jonah knows that these are barbarians. He basically says, they don't deserve your grace and mercy, so I'm not going. Well, we know through dramatic fashion, he ends up right where God calls him. When he gets to Nineveh, what is the message that Jonah preaches to the people? It's not a message of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not a message of, hey, if you'll give a little emotional response to the things of Christ, he can make your life better. When Jonah got to Nineveh, here's what he says. In 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed by God. Repent. Repent and believe. So we see that message throughout Scripture that the message of the gospel is a message of repentance. And that's what Jesus is calling these Jewish ladies and by and large, even the Jewish people too in these last moments of his life. Turn back, weep for yourselves in repentance and faith and trust in me. You see, Jesus doesn't want our sympathy. He desires our submission. That's the call of Christ. It's a call of submission and of repentance. Not only do we see the preaching of the message of the cross, but finally in verse 31, we see the taking of the judgment on the cross. In verse 31, Jesus gives the crowd here a little proverb. Here's what he says. If they do these things when the tree is green, what will they do when it's dry? I think I have some indication of what Jesus is speaking to here. Um, you know, over the last few weeks, especially with the ice storm and those kind of things, um, my live oak tree in my front yard is shedding leaves like no other. And some of the bushes are looking dead. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? It's supposed to be spring. I, so I'm out there and I'm trying to take care of things and picking up leaves and 
trimming off dead branches and all of this. Here's what we don't do. We don't cut the entire tree down because it sheds a few leaves. Or we don't cut the entire tree down because one dead branch falls off. That's what Jesus is speaking to here. Some of you all know that I grew up in Western Kentucky. And one of the joys that I got to experience growing up is living in a home where we had no central air or heat. For you younger people, we didn't have air conditioning. Yeah. We didn't have heat that came out of vents. In fact, we had a wood-burning stove that heated our entire house in the wintertime. So in my father's wisdom and in his desire to teach me a good work ethic, it was my job to pack in wood into the house to feed the stove so that we would have heat, right? And here's what my dad taught me. We always pull the wood from one end of the wood pile. As we cut the wood down, we would put it on the other end. And throughout the winter, we would work from the oldest wood to the newest wood. Now, why is that? Well, because if you put the green wood in the stove, guess what happens? You don't have heat. You have a lot of smoke, right? But you don't have heat. So here's what Jesus is saying here. The wood is green. Jesus was innocent. And this is what he endured. An innocent man endured this type of pain and suffering. What's gonna happen to the guilty? That's what Jesus is saying. Judgment is coming. Just as sure as Jesus was going to the cross, Jesus is saying, there is a time of judgment coming. The gospel message is simply this. God is holy and righteous. He's the creator of the universe and all that is in it. He's the creator of all things. And he's perfect in every way. And at the highest point of his creation was man and woman who God desired and did have a perfect relationship with. But at one point in time, that first man and woman, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God. They sinned against their creator. And because of that, God said, I'm gonna judge you. And not only am I gonna judge you, but for all of your descendants, they too, because of their sin, will be judged. And it was, it's not just a they thing, it's a me thing, right? Because the scriptures clearly teach that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it wasn't just that Adam and Eve did wrong and rebelled. It's that every human that has ever lived except Jesus himself has to sinned against a holy God and is deserving of his right judgment because of our guilt, 
But God in his grace and mercy provided a sacrifice who would take the place of sinners and receive their judgment on the cross. And that person was Jesus, God in the flesh, who lived a perfect life so that his atoning sacrifice on the cross would be received by the Father as payment for our sin debt. That anyone who would repent of their sins and believe in who Christ is and what he did on the cross can be saved. And they can live the rest of their life free from the bondage of sin and live with a purpose for the mission of Christ and ultimately have the hope of salvation in the future. That's the gospel. That's the message of the cross. And these are the truths that we are to live in light of every day of our life. You see, unfortunately, what can happen at times, we, we say, oh, that gospel message, that's such a great thing for us to tell the lost. And it is. That is the message that we should proclaim in our evangelism and in our attempts to share with our family and friends and community. It's the hope of salvation. Paul says it's the power of, of the gospel for all who would believe it's the power of salvation. So we should proclaim it. And yet we don't move on from it because we have believed. Those truths are to be imprinted in our lives as we go and as we proclaim and as we live. We'll end with this. Revelation chapter six speaks of a coming judgment, not only for the nation of Israel, but for all people. Revelation 6.14 says this. Of course, this is John looking forward to a time in our future where the seals of God's judgment will be open. He says this, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of mountains. And they called on the mountains and on the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? You see, on that day of judgment, there will be no refuge from Christ. There will only be refuge in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. That it was on that cross that our sin was dealt with. Yes, the physical suffering, the emotional pain, but the spiritual aspect that Jesus bore your just wrath for our sins. 
for the sins of all of those who would cry out in repentance and faith. And so, Lord, for those of us who are yours, who you have saved by your grace, we can identify with Simon. We can say, thank you for plucking us out of the world and choosing to pour out your grace on our lives that we may see the truth about us, that we're broken sinners and that we can see the truth about you, that you're holy and righteous and that we can have the faith to believe those things and to be saved. God, help every aspect of our lives to be cross-shaped, to be influenced, to be impacted by what Jesus did, that there would be no question that what's the most important thing in our life, the most, the highest priority in our lives is to proclaim the gospel message to those around us. God, may we leave with that type of mindset. And Lord, for others here today who maybe they identify more with the crowd, uh, maybe they've had some remote emotional response and thinking about all that Jesus endured, but they've never bowed their knee to the Lordship of Christ in repentance and faith. God, I pray that today they would call out to you by the power of your spirit, that they would turn and confess their sin and turn away and, and submit to the Lordship of Christ and be saved. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.